Section 19 of A Life's Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingling. A Life's Morning by George Gissing. Section 19, Chapter 14, Part 1. News and Comments. As a man who took the world as he found it, and on the whole found it well worth accepting on such terms, Mr. Athel was not likely to allow his annoyance with Wilfred to threaten the habitual excellence of his digestion. His disappointment was real enough. When, of a sudden, Wilfred had announced that he could not accompany the family party to Switzerland, Mr. Athel was saved from undignified irresolution by a hearty outburst of temper, which saw him well over the straits before it gave way to the natural reaction, under the influence of which he called himself a blockhead. He had, beyond a doubt, precipitated the marriage, when postponement was the only thing he really cared about. To abuse himself was one thing, the privilege which an Englishman is ready enough to exercise, to have his thoughts uttered to him by his sister with feminine neatness and candor was quite another matter mrs russell had in vain attempted to stem the flood of wrath rushing channel words overcome she clad herself in meaning silence until her brother too ingenuous a man was compelled to return to the subject himself and towards the end of the journey rashly gave utterance to half a wish that he had not left that young fool behind mrs russell herself a little too impetuous when triumph was no longer doubtful made such pointed remarks on the neglect of good advice that the ire which was cooling shot forth flame in another direction Brother and sister arrived at Geneva in something less than perfect amity. Their real affection for each other was quite capable of bearing, not infrequently, the strain of irritability on both sides. A day of mutual causticities had well prepared the ground for the return of good temper, when the arrival of Wilfred, by astonishing both, hastened their complete reconciliation. Wilfred was mysterious. For a week he kept his counsel and behaved as if nothing unusual had happened. By that time Mr. Athel's patience had reached its limit. He requested to be told how matters stood. Wilfred determined not to compromise his dignity by speaking first, but glad enough when his father broached the topic, related the story of his visit to Dunfield. Possibly he laid needless emphasis on Emily's unselfish prudence. I fail to see the striking meritoriousness of all that, Mr. Athel observed, put into a good humor by the result, and consequently allowing himself a little captiousness it merely means that she behaved as any woman who respected herself would under the circumstances your own behavior on the other hand well let it pass 
"'I don't see that I could have acted otherwise,' said Wilfred, too contented to care about arguing the point. "'You, of course, saw her parents.' Wilfred had given no detailed account of the way in which his interview with Emily had been obtained. He mentioned it now, his father listening with the frowning smile of a man who judges such puerilities from the standpoint of comfortable middle age. The tone between them returned before long to the friendliness never previously interrupted. Mr. Athel shortly wrote a letter to Mr. Baxendale of Dunfield, whom he only knew by name as Beatrice Redwing's uncle, and begged for private information regarding Emily's family. He received a courteous reply, the details not, of course, wholly palatable, but confirmatory of the modest hopes he had entertained. This reply he showed to his sister, Mrs. Russell raised her eyebrows resignedly and returned the letter in silence. "'What one expected, I suppose,' said Mr. Athel. "'I suppose so. Mr. Baxendale probably thinks the man has been applying for a position in your pantry. Well, I was obliged, you know, to hint at my reasons for seeking information.' "'You did? Then Beatrice knows all about it by this time.' as well that way as any other i suppose we shall have to take the matter like reasonable beings edith said her brother a trifle annoyed by her failure to countenance him yes but you seem anxious that i should rejoice that would not be very reasonable something warned mr athel that he had better abstained from rejoinder he pursed his lips and walked away Wilfred had not spoken of the subject to his aunt since the disclosure at the first, and Mrs. Russell was offended by his silence, at least as much as by the prospect of his marrying Miss Hood. Clearly, he regarded the matter as no concern of hers, whereas a woman claims by natural right a share in the matrimonial projects of all her male relatives with whom she is on a footing of intimacy perhaps the main cause of her displeasure in the first instance had been the fact that things should have got to such a pass without her having as much as suspected the imminence of danger she regarded emily as one that had outwitted her dearly would she have liked to be able to meet her brother with the assertion that she had suspected it all along the impossibility of doing so not from conscientious scruples but because in that case it would clearly have been her duty to speak exasperated her disappointment at the frustration of the match she desired now that she was getting used to the state of things wilfred's behaviour to her became the chief ground of her offence it seemed to her that at least he owed some kind of apology for the distress he had naturally caused her in truth she would have liked him to undertake the task of winning her over to his side between her and her nephew there had never existed a warm confidence and wilfred's present attitude was too much a confirmation of the feeling she had experienced now and then that his affection was qualified with just a little contempt 
she was not she knew a strong-minded woman and on that very account cared more for the special dominion of her sex since wilfred had ceased to be a hobbledehoy it would have become him to put a little more of the courtier into his manner towards her for are there not countries in which their degree of kin is no bar to matrimony mrs rossall was of the women who like the flavour of respectful worship in all men who are neither father brother nor son wilfred had fallen short of this and hence the affectation with which she had persisted in regarding him as a schoolboy his latest exploits were vastly more interesting to her than anything he had done in academic spheres and she suffered a sense of exclusion in seeing him so determined to disregard her opinion she persuaded him to roll her out one evening on a lake by which they were spending a few days wilfred suspecting that she aimed at a tete-a-tete proposed that his father should accompany them mrs rossall overruled the suggestion how wonderfully you are picking up she said after watching him pull for a few minutes do you know wilf your tendency is to stoutness in a few years you will be portly if you live too sedentary a life he looked annoyed and by so doing gratified her she proceeded what do you think i overheard one of our spectacled friends say this morning Zegen Sie mal. You were walking at a little distance. Dar haben Sie das Muster der englischen Aristokraten. Oh, der gut schlicht Junge. Wilfred had been working up his German. He stopped rowing, red with vexation. That is a malicious invention, he declared. Nothing of the kind. The truth of the remark struck me i'm obliged to you but my dear boy what is there to be offended at the man envied you with all his heart and it is delightful to see you begin to look so smooth about the cheeks i am neither an aristocrat nor schlicht an aristocrat to the core i never knew anyone so sensitive on points of personal dignity so intolerant of difference of opinion in others so narrowly self-willed did you imagine yourself to have the air of a hero of romance of the intense school wilfred looked into her eyes and laughed that is your way of saying that you think my recent behaviour incongruous you wish to impress upon me how absurd i look from the outside it is my way of saying that i am sorry for you he laughed again then the english aristocrat is an object of your pity certainly when he gets into a false position ah well suppose we talk of something else look at the moon rising over that shoulder of the hill that by way of proving that you are romantic no we won't talk of something else what news have you from england none he replied regarding the gleaming drops that fell from his suspended oar and you are troubled that the post brings you nothing how do you know your emotions are on the surface he made no reply ah mrs rossall sighed 
what a pity you are so independent i often think a man's majority ought to come ten years later than it does most of you are mere boys till thirty at least and you go and do things that you repent all the rest of your lives dare you promise to come to me in ten years and tell me with complete frankness what you think of a certain step he smiled scornfully certainly let us register the undertaking after pausing a moment he continued with an outburst of vehemence a characteristic of wilfred's speech you illustrate a thought i have often had about women the majority of you at all events as you get into the world have no kind of faith in anything but sordid motives you are cynical beyond anything man can pretend to you scoff at every suggestion of idealism i suppose it is that which makes us feel the conversation of most women of refinement so intolerably full of hypocrisies having cast away all faith you cannot dispense with the show of it the traditions of your sex must be supported you laugh in your sleeves at the very things which are supposed to constitute your claims to worship you are worldly to the core men are very quicksets compared with you even if they put on cynicism for show they are ashamed of it within themselves with you fine feeling is the affectation i have felt it again and again explain it now defend yourself if you can show me that i am wrong and i will thank you heartily my word what an arraignment cried mrs rossall between amusement at his boldness and another feeling which warmed her cheeks a little but let us pass from broad accusation to particulars i illustrate all these shocking things poor me how do i illustrate them in the whole of your attitude towards myself of late you poo-poo my feelings you refuse to regard me as anything but a donkey you prophesy that in a year or two i shall repent having made a disinterested marriage i observe the difference between your point of view and my father's the worst of it is you are sincere the circumstances of the case do not call upon you for an expression of graceful sentiments and you are not ashamed to show me how meanly you regard all that is highest and purest in life shall i explain it women are very quick to get at realities to see below the surface in conduct and profession we become you say worldly as soon as we get into the world precisely because we have to be so wide awake to protect ourselves we instinctively know the difference between the ring of false and true and as we hear the false so much the oftener your charge against us of want of real feeling is the result of your ignorance of women you don't see below the surface well now apply all this to the present instance what has your insight discerned in my proposed marriage to cause you to regard it as a piece of folly simply this you ally yourself with someone from a class beneath your own such marriages very very seldom prove anything but miserable and always bring a great many troubles 
you will say that miss hood is raised by education above the class in which she was born but no doubt she has relatives and they can be entirely got rid of however that isn't the point i lay most stress on well i'm quite sure you will make her miserable you are marrying too young your character is not fixed in a few years before that you will want to get rid of her well that is at all events intelligible and your grounds for the belief you are inconstant and you are ambitious you might marry a woman from a class higher than your own and when it is too late you will understand what you have lost worldly advantages precisely and how if your keen appreciation of worldly advantages results in your wife's unhappiness i deny the keen appreciation in your sense of course you do come to me in ten years and tell me your opinion of women's way of thinking this was the significant part of their conversation wilfred came to land confirmed in his views mrs rossall with the satisfaction of having prophesied uncomfortable things she had a letter on the following morning on which she recognized beatrice redwing's bend to her surprise the stamp was of dunfield it proved that beatrice was on a visit to the baxendales her mother prior to going to the isle of wight had decided to accept an invitation to a house in the midland counties which beatrice did not greatly care to visit so the latter had used the opportunity to respond to a summons from her friends in the north whom she had not seen for four years beatrice replied to a letter from mrs rossall which had been forwarded to her after breakfast mrs rossall took her brother aside and pointed out to him a paragraph in beatrice's letter it ran thus a very shocking thing has happened which i suppose i may mention as you will necessarily hear of it soon miss hood's father has committed suicide poisoned himself he was found dead on a common just outside the town nobody seems to know any reason unless it was trouble of a pecuniary kind miss hood is seriously ill the baxendales send daily to make inquiries and i am afraid the latest news is anything but hopeful she was to have dined with us here the day after her father's death there was no further comment the writer went on to speak of certain peculiarities in the mode of conducting service at st luke's church mr athel read and in his manner whistled low his sister looked interrogation i suppose we shall have to tell him said the former probably he has no means of hearing i suppose we must he has been anxious at not receiving letters he expected how do you know i had a talk with him last night ah so i thought the deuce take it of course he will pack off on the moment what on earth can have induced the man to poison himself such a proceeding was so at variance with mr athel's views of life that it made him seriously uncomfortable it suggested criminality or at least lunacy both such very unpleasant things to be even remotely connected with poverty he could pardon but suicide was really disreputable 
from the philosophic resignation to which he had attained he fell back into petulance always easier to him than grave protest the deuce take it he repeated mrs russell pointed to the words reporting emily's condition at the time of writing that was more than two days ago she said meaningly hm went her brother will you tell him i suppose i must yes it is hardly allowable even to postpone it where is he wilfred was found in the hotel garden your aunt has had a letter from beatrice mr athel began with the awkwardness of a comfortable englishman called upon to break bad news she is staying in dunfield indeed there's something in the letter you ought to know wilfred looked anxiously it appears that miss hood's father has don't let it be a shock to you has just died and died in fact by his own hands has killed himself wilfred exclaimed turning pale yes i'm sorry to say that is the report miss hood is naturally suffering from from the shocking occurrence she's ill wilfred asked when he had examined his father's face for a moment yes i'm afraid she is beatrice gives no details you're not keeping anything from me indeed nothing the words are that she is ill and it is feared seriously i must go at once it was said with quiet decision wilfred consulted his watch and walked rapidly to the hotel he had to wait a couple of hours however before he could start on his journey and he spent the time by himself his father felt he could be of no use and mrs russell found a difficulty in approaching her nephew under such circumstances you will telegraph mr athel said at the station by way of expressing himself sympathetically the train moved away and the long miserable hours of travelling had to be lived through wilfred's thoughts were all the more anxious from his ignorance of the dead man's position and history even yet emily had said very little of her parents in writing to him he imagined all manner of wretched things to connect her silence with this catastrophe his fears on her own account were not excessive the state of vigorous health into which he had grown during late weeks perhaps helped him to avoid thoughts of a desperate kind it was bad enough that she lay ill and from such a cause he feared nothing worse than illness but his uneasiness increased as time went on the travelling seemed intolerably tardy he had to decide what his course would be on reaching dunfield and decision was not easy to go straight to the house might result in painful embarrassments it would at all events be better first to make inquiries elsewhere could he have recourse to beatrice at first the suggestion did not recommend itself but nothing better came into his mind and as his impatience grew the obstacles seemed so trifling that he overlooked them he remembered that the address of the baxendales was unknown to him but it could easily be discovered yes he would go straight to beatrice reaching london at ten o'clock in the morning he drove directly to king's cross and pursued his journey northwards 
though worn with fatigue excitement would not allow him more than a snatch of sleep now and then when at length he stepped out at dunfield he was in sorry plight he went to an hotel refreshed himself as well as he could and made inquiry about the baxendales's address at four o'clock he presented himself at the house and sent in a card to beatrice the baxendales lived in st luke's which we already know as the fashionable quarter of dunfield their house stood by itself with high walls about it enclosing a garden at the door were stone pillars the lower half painted a dull red it seemed the abode of solid people not troubled with scruples of taste it was with surprise that wilfred found himself in a room abundantly supplied with books and furnished in library fashion his state of mind notwithstanding he glanced along a few shelves discovering yet more unexpected things to wit philosophical works unfortunately the corners of the room showed the busts of certain modern english statesmen but one looks for weaknesses everywhere beatrice entered rustling in a light shimmery dress her face expressed embarrassment rather than surprise after the first exchange of glances she avoided his eager look her hand had lain but coldly in his wilfred face to face with her found more difficulty in speaking than he had anticipated i have come directly from switzerland he began you mentioned in a letter to my aunt that his hesitation of a moment was relieved by beatrice you mean miss hood's illness she said looking down at her hands which were lightly clasped on her lap yes i wish for news i thought it likely you might know probably it was the effect of his weariness he could not speak in his usual straightforward way hesitancy to his own annoyance made gaps and pauses in his sentences we heard this morning beatrice said looking past his face to the window that she is better the danger seems to be over there has been danger the day before yesterday she was given up so ill as that wilfred spoke half to himself and indeed it cost him an effort to make his voice louder he began can you tell me and again paused have you heard nothing from any other quarter beatrice asked after a silence of almost a minute he looked at her wondering what she knew of his relations to emily it was clear that his interest occasioned her no surprise i came away immediately on hearing what your letter contained there is no one else with whom i could communicate i hesitated to go to the house not knowing will you tell me what you know of this horrible event beatrice stroked one hand with the other and seemed to constrain herself to look up and to speak i myself know nothing but the fact of mr hood's death it took place some ten days ago on monday of last week i arrived here on the wednesday of course there was an inquest with what results none beyond the verdict of suicide no definite cause could be discovered it is said that he suffered from very narrow means his body was found by mr dagworthy who is mr dagworthy i thought you probably knew returned beatrice 
glancing quickly at him he was employed by mr dagworthy as clerk in a manufactory he had just left for his summer holiday what evidence did his employer give he only stated that mr hood had been perfectly regular and satisfactory at his work then in truth it is a mystery mr baxendale thinks that there had been a long struggle with poverty quite enough to account for the end wilfred sat in gloomy silence he was picturing what emily must have endured and reproaching himself for not having claimed a right to her entire confidence when it was in his power to make that hard path smooth and to avert this fearful misery looking up at length he met the girl's eyes i need not explain myself to you beatrice he said finding at last a natural tone and calling her by her christian name because he had much need of friendly sympathy you appear to know why i have come she answered rather hurriedly i should not have known but for something that mrs baxendale told me mr athel wrote a short time ago to ask for information about them about the hoods he wrote wilfred heard it with a little surprise but without concern do you know whether mrs hood is alone with her he went on to ask i believe so and she is better he added quickly has she proper attendance have any friends been of aid the baxendales have shown much kindness my aunt saw her yesterday will it be long before she is able to leave her room do you know i'm not able to say mrs baxendale hopes you will go upstairs and see her she can tell you more will you go but is she alone i can't talk with people yes she is alone quite he rose the girl's eyes fixed themselves on him again and she said you look dreadfully tired i have not slept i think since i left turin you left them all well beatrice asked with a change in her voice from anxious interest which would have veiled itself to the tone of one discharging a formal politeness wilfred replied with a brief affirmative and they ascended the stairs together to a large and rather dim drawing-room with a scent of earth and vegetation arising from the great number of growing plants arranged about it beatrice presented her friend to mrs baxendale and at once withdrew End of section 19, chapter 14, part 1. Recording by Shi Ping Ling.